Okay, good morning, everyone. Let me manage and mute everybody. Thank you for joining me in this new uh, way of learning together. It's unfortunate that this horrific virus is keeping us apart. I wish we were sitting together as we do every week in the Rand Sanctuary, learning the Parsha, being inspired together, feeling the connection of a Parsha's Vayakel to gather together where Kedusha really emanates from our drawing energy from one another, from gathering. But uh, Baruch Hashem, we're so grateful that Hashem has enabled us with technology, which is uh, clearly created just for this purpose, to be able to virtually be together, a community of learners, a community of Torah studiers, a community of people who are trying to grow together, and uh, so grateful that you're here together with me. Uh, you will hopefully... Forgive me as I figure this out as we go. Okay, I want to thank our generous sponsors for this year, the series, Becky and Avi, Katz and Family, in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Leila Nishmas David Menachem Manash, whose neshama should have an aliyah. We have a lot of virtual abilities to learn together over this uh, challenging time. Shiurim over Zoom, and that you can call into, and that will continue to post in the usual places. We also have a few WhatsApp groups that we're going to send messages out daily. We have an Amuna WhatsApp group, a Sitter Snippets WhatsApp group, and a Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos WhatsApp group, which hopefully you can find and join and be part of us as well. Okay, our parsha begins. Usually I announce what page in the Chumash. I don't know what Chumash everyone has at home. But we have the privilege this week of learning and of reading two parshios together, Vayakel and Pekude. The parsha begins by telling us, Vayakel Moshe is called Asmane Yisrael Vayom Aleim, Eila Advar Hashem Asos Osam. Moshe gathers everybody together, Vayakel. He brings everyone into the same place, into the same space. He brings us together. And what is the message he says? Vayakel, coming off of the Chaita Egel. Here we are repeating these two parshios. Here we are repeating the details and the architecture of both the Mishkan and the Kalim, the utensils that go within. Why are we repeating it? Every year I love to tell of Palm's insight that the difference between Truma Tetzava, which is perspective, it talks about what we're destined to do. Vayaka Pekude says what we did, we built it, we finished, we followed through. There are a lot of projects, there's a lot of ambition and aspiration, a lot of ideas people have, but they don't necessarily see it all the way through. Vayakel and Pekude, writes Rav Palm, was worth repeating, just as an example of someone who followed it through, who made it to the end, who made it all the way. And that's our mission, is to not only have great ideas, not only to start and to begin, but to be able to follow them through all of the way. Here we have, just like we did in the last parsha, Kisise, the juxtaposition, Kisise, the juxtaposition of, uh, of the Mishkan with Shabbos. We have the juxtaposition yet again, this time in the opposite order. What was it that Moshe told the people? These are the things that God has commanded to do them. What does it mean to do them? Those words seem entirely extraneous. What are those words adding? What are those words contributing? So the vision of Tzarebbe, those who learn with me regularly know I love to quote the vision of Tzarebbe, the Imre Chaim. The Imre Chaim says the following. He says, "La'asososam v'daika amafarsha ma'u la'asososam." What does it mean, la'asos? Halomitzvah Shabbos to b'shev ve'atase. Here we have the opening of our parsha, a reminder of the injunction of the commandment to observe the Shabbos. Shabbos is passive. Friday, the sun goes down, whether you're ready or not, whether you embrace it or not, whether you like candles, make kiddush or not. We're all equally obligated to observe Shabbos. Thirty-nine categories of creative, prohibitive labor. 
בשבי התעשה, כמו שקרסו בסמוך, ויום אשר יהיה לכם קודש, שבת שבת סון, the seventh day comes, it is by definition sacred and holy, it is a שבת שבת סון. So therefore, it's שבי התעשה. So what's the Pasuk talking about? God commanded us לעשוס או סום, to perform them, to do them in the active sense. And says the Vishnu Tzarebbe, you know what it means? ועדה יש לנו לשבת גם קום ועשה. Just like in Pasha's Kisisei, לעשוס עשה שבת. Shabbos has the passive component. When the sun goes down, Shabbos falls, whether we're ready or not. But Shabbos has an extremely active component as well. Shabbos has the notion that we have to create a sense of Shabbos, that we have to gather with others in the ideal sense. We gather in shul, we gather for davening, we gather for learning, we gather with guests. And even in these unusual circumstances, these very difficult circumstances, nevertheless, we create, we manufacture our own Shabbos by the attitude that we bring. Shabbos is not just visited upon us, but we create. Says the vision, sir, how do people know what that's like and how to experience and how to design and how to create a Shabbos? That's why our Pasha, unusually, uniquely, is introduced with the word Vayakel. Moshe gathered everybody and he gave them the experience of what does it mean to have a Shabbos. And with that, they were able to follow the example. So Rashi tells us that the Vayakal, he gathered everybody together and he said, you see the power of community, the power of togetherness, the energy we draw from one another, what you're experiencing right now, what you had at a Harsinai, what you're experiencing when I'm coming off the mountain from receiving the Torah the second time, Motzei Yom Kippur, what you have from a Vayakal, we can have each and every Shabbos when we come together. So my dear friends, that's what we longingly miss. The experience of being together on Shabbos, of filling a room with the sounds of tefillah, of filling a lobby and a campus with the experience of, of a kiddush, of being together, of being united. That's what we so desperately miss. That's what we so desperately miss. And therefore the la'asos is upon us even more than usual, that we have an obligation to create and to experience and to manufacture, even while we are divided to feel together, and even while we are separated to continue to draw energy from one another. And I hope and I pray, and I'm going to direct all, most of our Divrei Torah today on our Parshas, Vayakel and Pakudei, around how we're feeling right now, but I hope and we pray that when this passes, and please God passes quickly, when this dissipates, we will remember the loneliness and the longing. We will cherish the opportunity to be together, that we will not ever take it for granted, that we'll never neglect it, that we'll never try to create breakaways from it, but rather we'll recognize the gift and the beauty of when a shul can operate, when we have that ability to all be together is something that we should never, ever, ever take for granted, and that that is something that we will be able to preserve even after this is over, that a Kodesh Baruch Hu has ki'ilu separated us just to remind us of the special quality of Vayakel, of what it means to be together. And in the absence of the Vayakel, in the absence of the energy we draw from one another physically, we have to go above and beyond to call and to check in and to FaceTime, particularly with the most vulnerable and the most isolated, to see how they're doing. Because, you know, as dangerous and as nefarious as this virus is, is the danger of loneliness. 
it too lowers the immune system, and it too renders people fragile and vulnerable and susceptible, and therefore vayakel. It's no coincidence that it's in this time that we're reading these parshias and we're being reminded of the importance and of the responsibility of achieving a sense of a vayakel, to be able to come together and to be able to draw together from that. So what are we warned? Shabbos and Mishkan are juxtaposed. They were in Kisisa, and here they are again in our Parsha Vayaka. Six days do work. Previously, you can listen to previous Parsha Shiram online. Previously, we spoke about and we focused on this notion of Sheshes Yamim Tasim Alacha. Six days you do work. Work in Judaism, work in Torah is not a concession. Work is not we give in. We work because we have to. Work is something that we value. Work is the way that we shape and mold the universe. Work is the difference that we make and the influence that we wield. And therefore, work is sheshes yamim. When do you deserve a Shabbos after six days that you put in your sense of work? And all the Mamari Chazah we shared previously about the value of, of work and what that does for us and how it occupies us constructively and it allows us to fulfill the mandate, pruvu aretz to fill the world. Vikivshua, go conquer it. Go study and conquer and make that difference. And then Vayom then that seventh day is a Kodesh, Shabbat Shabbason, it is that day of Shabbos. We don't, on Shabbos, rejuvenate and rest and re-energize to be able to have the koach, the strength, for the week ahead. It's the opposite. Shabbos is the tachlis of Masa Barishas. Six days we work to get to Shabbos. It's not that Shabbos we rest to be able to rush and get back to the week. The week we energize, we work in order to be able to get to the tachlis, the goal of all of that work, the payoff, the fruit of all of that labor, which is the experience of Shabbos. So here we have this juxtaposition of Shabbos and Mishkan. And Rashi tells us and reminds us that Pasuk Beis, Hikten lahem azhar Shabbos l'tzivoy melechas ha-mishkan, lomar she'ena doches ha-shabbos. That we have the uh, obligation, the commandment, to be vigilant in our observance of Shabbos before we're told about building the Mishkan. Why? In order to remind us that building the Mishkan does not supersede Shabbos. I might have thought making a home for God is so important, is so central, is so core, it supersedes everything, even the observance of Shabbos. Now, I especially might have thought that if I know, as we do, sort of retroactively, that once the Mishkan is constructed and is whole, that in fact the operation, the avodah of the Mishkan, does supersede Shabbos. The Kohanim in the Mishkan violated Shabbos uh, on a regular basis, the act of shechita, the slaughtering of the animal, and so on. So I might have thought that the building of the Mishkan does too, and yet it doesn't. What do Mishkan and Shabbos have in common? What is the common theme that runs through both? Is clearly that word, Kodesh. Kedusha, holiness, sanctity. So many of our commentaries point out that Shabbos and Mishkan represent the same theme just present in two different areas of, of life, in two different realms or venues. Mishkan is makom. Mishkan is holiness and sanctity in space. Shabbos is holiness and sanctity in time. I might have thought that holiness and sanctity in space building a home for the Shechina, we've shared previously, Rabbi Sachs, Lord Sachs, Shechina from the language of Shachin, not the abstract God who's distant and far and inaccessible to me, but the Shachin, the Shechina, the Kodesh Baruch Hu, who's right next door, who's my best friend and my confidant, who I go visit when I need support and strengthening, pick me up. So I might have thought making a house for that Shechina, a makom for Shechina, that Mishkan of Shechina is doche, it supersedes making a Mishkan in time. And Torah concludes, no, the opposite. It's the sanctity in time that supersedes the sanctity in space. 
And I want to suggest to you, as we gather this morning and during this unusual time, that maybe what the Torah is telling us is that our ability to manufacture uh, Kedusha, our ability to... How do I get rid of the share? Sorry. Our ability to uh, create a sense of sanctity doesn't depend on a Mishkan. It's true when we had a base of Mikdash, it's true when we had a Mishkan, we can visit and we could feel we were in the intense presence of Hashem, undeniably with miracles abound. But even without it and even absent it, our home becomes that Mishkan Ma'at, that Mikdash Ma'at. We can create Kedusha, we can create a Mikdash. And when we can't go to a base of Mikdash, when we can't go to a... Sorry. When we can't go to a... Uh, a shul, when we can't gather in our usual places, in the Beis HaKnesses or the Beis HaMedrash, we still have Shabbos. We not only have Shabbos in the seventh day of the week, we have the Bechina of Shabbos the whole week long. We have the capacity to turn our homes into small, little, miniature Bate Medrash and Bate Knesios. The davening that we're doing, the learning we're doing, the pictures that we're seeing of people gathering with their families within their home. I spoke yesterday in another context about maybe that is the silver lining, that this is a crisis and we hope and pray it passes quickly. But it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to recognize that the home is the holiest place within the community and not to relegate our sense of religious activity or ritual to a shul or a base measure, but to realize I can fill my home, the walls, with the sounds of davening and the sounds of learning. That Vyasuli Mikdash Vashakanti Bisokham, that Shabbos is Docha Mishkan. I don't need that building. I have the sense of Shabbos not only on that seventh day, but all week long I can achieve it, even locally. We mention this in the context of another Pasuk in our Pasha, which reviews the Kalim of the Mikdash, the Aron, that the uh, Ark, which houses the, the Luchos Haedus, it houses the uh, tablets, which of course of testimony are the the driver there, the battery that are inserted into the Mishkan. The Mishkan only has Kedusha. They had to be there in the Temple Mount in order for the second base on Mikdash to have a sense of, of sanctity. So that Aron had poles that were inserted into the, into the um, rings on its side. And when the poles were inserted, they were never removed. They were never removed. Unlike the poles of the other utensils that were inserted in order to transport it, these poles were never removed. Many reasons are offered. I shared them yesterday, but I'll skip right to... I'll skip right to Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch says, you know why the poles are never removed? Because the Mishka, the Aron Torah is ready to travel. It informs and inspires us all the time, whenever and wherever we are. It's not just sitting in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but the Aron, it's symbolism, it's timeless messages. They come with us wherever and whenever we are. We can open a Sefer and we can turn on a Shear and we can access Torah, even when we can't access a campus a shul, or a base medrash. That is the message of Shabbos superseding Mishkan. It's a message of the luchos, of the Aron traveling. That Torah and its timeless message is not designated, relegated, limited by a specific place or a specific time or by specific religious personalities. That it's accessible to all of us. It transports us and inspires all of us everywhere and at all times and wherever we go. Pasuk says in the end of this section, the last Pasuk, Pasuk Gimel, Perak Lamed Hay, chapter 35, Pasuk Gimel. Says the Torah, You're not allowed to have a fire burning in all of your dwelling places on Shabbos. Now, the simple understanding with this we've discussed also previously, we have 39 categories of creative labor on Shabbos. The Torah doesn't spell them out. Where do we derive them from? The way we rest on Shabbos is we're at peace with the natural order and the natural world. 
God created six days and rested. Six days we conquer the world, we study it, manipulate it, control it, learn about it, design it, build it, invent it. And the seventh day we too are at peace, we too are at rest. We're at rest through the Isra Malacha. Now it's not Malacha, it's not labor which is prohibited, it's Malachas Machsheves. It's creative labor which is prohibited. That's why I can't turn on a light on Shabbos, which takes no effort, but it's an act of creative labor. An animal can never discover electricity, could never design a light switch. But I am allowed to walk to shul on Shabbos in Boca in August, which, if you don't, like me, live next door to the shul, is incredibly laborious, is an incredible act of labor. Why? Because an animal could walk far distances. It takes no creativity in order to be able to walk, which is, by the way, why, according to Tosos, maybe the Malacha Hutzah is a Malacha Gerua, because it doesn't even have a Machsheves component to it. Why is carrying from one domain to another? Those learning the daf have encountered that right now. It's a Malacha Gerua. It's an inferior form of a Malacha, because carrying from one domain to another doesn't really have a Machsheves, a creative, innovative component, component to it. So the 39 categories are not of labor, but they are of creative labor. The Torah doesn't list them. How do I know what they are? I can't plow and plant and harvest and grind and, and knead and cook and all the different categories. How do I know what they are? From our juxtaposition, whatever was a creative labor to make a house for Hashem is the same creative labor I need to be passive from when it comes to observing and honoring Shabbos. There's only one that we're giving, and that's lo sevaru You can't have a fire burning in any of your dwelling places when on Shabbos. Now, this was a big source of debate between the Tzedukim and Prushim. This too we've discussed previously. I'll just gloss over it quickly. Those who understand the Torah quite literally understood and interpreted this to mean you cannot have a fire burning in your home on Shabbos, even from before Shabbos, even a pre-existing fire. So the, they therefore sat in the cold all Shabbos and ate only cold food all of Shabbos. We therefore have a custom, a Jewish custom, which is a borderline halacha, to consume hot food every Shabbos. Why do we, the origin of chalant, of putting up a food on Erev Shabbos that would remain hot through Shabbos day, the origin of chalant, which believe it or not, there are scholarly articles about chalant in different places that Jews lived across the world, the different recipes and the different names and so on. But this near universal practice of eating something hot on Shabbos day was our affirmation, our testament that I am not a tztuki, that I don't, I'm not a karite. I don't take the Torah literally. I accept the rabbinic interpretation that you can have a fire. You can have electricity. You can have a crock pot. You can have heat if it is existing from before Shabbos, it's important, it's a halacha, to be able to enjoy hot food on Shabbos day, not only a nice idea for your boich, for your stomach, but it's a nice idea for your soul to be able to communicate that we accept and we believe that we affirm our commitment to the oral Torah and the oral tradition as well. But there's a homiletic interpretation to this Pasuk, So again, back to the Imre Chaim, the Vishnu Tzarebbe, who says, Says the Vishnu to read the Pasuk, Don't only be burning and lit up on fire on Shabbos, be on fire the whole week long. There are too many Jews who all Shabbos are just fighting to survive, get through the day, do work and pay the bills and collapse in bed, and they wait for and long for Shabbos. Oh, Shabbos I can daven, Shabbos I can learn, Shabbos I can be a real Yid, a real Jew. Says the Vishnitzer, no, read the Pasuk, Lo Don't only be on fire on Shabbos, a Jew has to live and be on fire the entire week long. The Shlach Kodesh has another interpretation homiletical of this Pasuk, 
And this too, I think, is highly relevant for this unusual and extraordinary time in which we are living. Says the Shlach Kadosh, when are we most When are you home the most? All week long you're at work and you're shopping and you're running and kids are at school and you're busy and you're occupied and you're out. When are we on Shabbos? And what is the great risk? What is the great danger? And the family's all home. When we're in our home, quarantined and limited and confined, when we are socially distancing from others and we're in a home, you know what happens? Aish. What happens is frustration, impatience, resentment, anger. What happens is somebody lashes out at somebody else. I told you to clean up already. I told you it's time for you to get on your technology and be doing your schoolwork already. How come I'm still cleaning up? How come you never cook? How come you didn't put that away? The longer that we are in this pressure cooker, the longer that we are quarantined or we're limited or we're distanced socially from others, when we are intensely, there is the potential for Aish. Says Kadosh, that's what the Torah is telling us. Ordinarily, this is the greatest danger on Shabbos or Erev Shabbos. On that day that we are the most, and the time that we are most intensely confined to our homes, even with the people that we're closest to and love the most, we're at the greatest risk of Eish, a fire of anger. We have to all be going out of our way to make sure that we're patient. We have to go out of our way to make sure that we don't allow anger to flare. Anger, the Rambam and the Ramban both agree. While it comes to all other qualities, we walk the Shvila Zahav. When it comes to all other qualities, we don't go in any extreme. They are Midos. They belong in some measure in our repertoire of life. But when it comes to anger, it doesn't belong in any degree. It doesn't belong at any measure. We should never get angry, not all week long, but particularly particularly within our dwelling places, within our homes, to our children, to our spouses, around our family, to the people we love the most. Next, Perak Laman Hey Pasak Hey, continuing right along. So Moshe tells Adas Ben Yisrael this gathering, This is what Hashem wants you to know. Take from yourselves a truma. Take from yourselves this gift, this donation to Hashem. Everyone who has a generous heart, bring it. Gold and silver and so on. The Kliyakar is bothered. Says the Kliyakar of Lunshitz, What word is extraneous? If you were unmuted and I can hear you, if we were live and in person, I would turn to you and say that our Mepharshim, when they comment on the Parsha, they're all bothered by a question. Every comment of the, of the Mepharshim on, on Chumash are stimulated and provoked by a question they had. Their style, their pedagogy was not to ask the question and give an answer. That we're used to. They offered a comment, but we need to know that comment was stimulated by a question. And our job is to read the Parsha and read the Perushim and ask, what was the question that bothered them? Not just Rashi. So the Kliyakar is bothered by a question, and so should you be. What word is extraneous? What word is extra in this Pasuk? Kichu, it should say, Kichu Truma. Take, it should say, Tenu, give. But we've spoken about, at the beginning of Parsha's Truma, that Kichu, that when we give, we really receive. We're watching we're watching Nebuch, Rahman al-Atzlan, Lo Aleinu, a stock market and an economy plummet. And the long-term effect of this, hopefully people's health will be protected, but our finances, we're watching, plummet. Mir Hashem, that too will be protected and restored. But you know, what we had five weeks ago, four weeks ago, last week, the value that we had in different markets or real estate in our home, it's plummeting and it's gone. What's the only thing that we ever really have? Not what we held on to. 
The only thing that we really ever have is what we gave away. What we've given away, the tzedakah that we've given, the impact that we made with it, that's what we take with us. That's what we have. That's why the Pasuk says, Kichu, take, not give. Because when you give, you've in fact taken. You have in your portfolio something that's untouchable, that can't go down. It's the investment which in perpetuity will forever give the best, the best return. And so the more we give, the more we receive. That's why it is Kichu. But why is the word Me'itchem here? So the Kliyakar is bothered. So let me read to you the Kliyakar. If you have a Mikros Gedolos at home, follow along. Says the Kliyakar, don't give from stolen money. If you earned your money by cutting corners, by lacking integrity, if you earn that money by not reporting your taxes honestly, so you add a little extra and now you're going to give it, your name will be in lights, you'll be listed, your grace a knocker, you'll be honored at the dinner because you're among a generous people who give. That which you're giving has to be, says the Kliyakar, you have to have earned it. Honestly and with integrity, it has to be truly and genuinely yours. That's answer number one. Answer number two. Answer number two says the Kliyakar. You have people who are self-motivated. You have people who are self-inspired. They see a problem, they want to solve it. They see a lack, they want to fill it. They see an issue, they want to solve it. And then you have people, you know, you know when they give? When other people are giving. And that person's not going to outshine me. If I see their name, my name better be on it because otherwise what will people think of me? So the word Meitchem says the Kliyakar tells us, what is the motivation behind your giving? Are you, giving because, are you giving because you're internally and inherently inspired to give? Are you giving only to keep up with the Joneses? Are you giving to keep up with others who are giving? Kodesh Baruch the Almighty wants me'itchem. He wants us. How do you know the difference between the two? Are you ever willing to give anonymously? Now, fascinatingly, there's halachic literature about is it preferable to give anonymously or is it okay to put your name on a building, on a program, to be listed in a journal, and the halachic literature all concludes not only is it okay and appropriate, sometimes it's preferable to list your name because the reality is that when people list their names, it inspires other people to give. However, we should ask ourselves why we're given. Are we, are we given only because we were inspired by others or are we giving internally? Is our gift me'itchem? Is it genuinely, does it originate from within ourselves? Then the Kliyakar continues. Lastly, the Kliyakar, the third suggestion is, you know what Meitchem means? It means mamish from yourself. You know, four weeks ago, if I asked you to give to our journal dinner honoring our incredible Rabbi and Rebbe in Moskowitz, if four weeks ago I asked you to help our scholarship fund or Tomchei Shabbos or give to whatever project, whatever, whatever, uh, righteous, whatever righteous uh, campaign. So, okay, the stock market all-time high, real estate thriving, doing well. It would have still been impressive, but big deal to give. But you know what? We're hurting and we're going to be hurting more. And when a person gives now, it's truly me'itchem. When we're in a time of uncertainty and many don't know where their income's coming from and many don't know what will happen with their savings. And I don't mean to depress all of you. Half of you look like you just fell off your couch. 
Please, God, it's going to all be okay. We're under Hashem's watch. Hashem's in charge of everything. It's easy go, but it's easy come back again. Mirza Hashem, we're going to be fine. But right now, there's a real sense that to give is coming me'itchem. In a period, in a time of uncertainty, to not know, we're given a piece of ourselves. Chazal, the Gemara, when it talks about money, the term it uses is domim. Because money reflects and represents our blood, sweat, and tears, our effort, our hard work. Money represents our safety and security. And when we share that and give it away, it is truly me'itchem. We've given away from ourselves. Says the Kliyakar, when we give three pshatim, number one, honesty, integrity. It can't be stolen. You can't be generous with someone else's money because you cut corners, because you were ruthlessly competitive in business, because you didn't report honestly in your tax returns. Because you cut corners. Number one, it has to be honest. Meitchem number two, it should be stimulated and provoked, motivated from within you, not just to keep up with others. And lastly, number three, giving even when it hurts. That is truly a sense of giving. Meitchem. Rabbi Salavechik in the wonderful Rabbi Salavechik Chumash of the OU also has a comment on the term Meitchem here, and he writes the following. The Gemara derives the principle that charity is part of tshuva. From the Pasuk, Tztaka Tatzal Mimavis. When a person has made mistakes, when there's an error in our ways, when we need to repair and improve our character and our behavior, one of the things that we do is give tzedakah. Where do we learn that from? A Pasuk in Mishle, the 11th parak. Pasuk says, tzedakah, tatzel mimavis. Giving tzedakah saves you from death. We know, tshuva tzedakah, tzedakah, mavir nisroa When it comes to a time of a roa hagzera, we're living through a period of roa hagzera. We're living through a time of a which has a, it's the roa of the gzera. It's very interesting, by the way. It doesn't say ma'avirin is gzera ra. It takes away a bad gzera. It says it takes away the bitterness and the pain and the difficulty of the gzera. Because the truth is, please God, the majority, the overwhelming, all of us will still stay safe from this virus. And the majority who could contract it would not even know its symptoms and will do well. So it's not this gzera right now which is killing us. It's the roaha gzera. It's the uncertainty. And it's the doubt. And it is how we've had to alter and change our lives. So one of the ways that we overcome that, we ask and beseech God to eliminate it, is tshuva, tefillah, utztaka. Tshuva and tefillah, I understand. Sincere repentance, transforming who I am, I got. Davening to Hashem, it's what changes me. I'm a new person. After I speak to Him humbly and modestly, how in the world does tzaka work? I come before the judge and I'm going to bribe Him. Look, God, I'm guilty as accused. I did it. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to smear you. Here's a check. How many zeros? I'll wire you the money. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to be let off the hook? So how does that work? So the Rav points out that we learn that from here too. Not only do you have to wait for Mishle, but this earlier source to substantiate this assertion can be derived from the narrative here. Immediately after the episode of the Chet Egel. God commanded the Jews to donate the building for the Mishkan. Hashem taught Jews that giving tzedakah was part of the process of tshuva, for having worshipped the golden calf. They could not give tzedakah to poor people, because there were no beggars or paupers. It was a classless society. So they were told, how do you give tzedakah then? By donating to the Mishkan. How does it work? Why is tzedakah always part of the process of tshuva? How in the world does that work? Why should that work? So the answer is, we're giving me'itchem of ourselves. We go back to the kliyakar. When we take our dhamim, our hard-earned money, when we don't know what will be, when it's a period of uncertainty and we're yet willing to share of ourselves, that is a testament. That is an affirmation. 
that we have our priorities right and that we understand that the resources that we have are given not just for us, they're given to help others and to make the world a better place. Paraklam and hey, Pasuk Yud, we continue. Paraklam and hey, Pasuk Yud. We've barely gotten through the beginning of Vayakel. If you don't learn with us every week, now you know why we don't cover that much. But most people are home, so I don't know. We have all day. And I don't have to end. You could just hang up when you're done. So we'll see how far we go. Don't worry, I'm just joking. We're going to go our usual hour in Mir Tzashem. Paraklam and hey, Pasuk. Pasuk Yud. Torah says the following. It lists off the contributions for the Mishkan, and now we begin the construction. Anyone who is a Chacham Lev among you should give, should do, according to everything, the way that Hashem commanded. I want you to notice, we're going to come back to it at the very end of Parshas Vayakel. But you're going to notice there's a phrase that keeps repeating itself here in Vayakel Pekudei, that did not appear in Truma Tetzava. And that is the expression, kol asher tziva Hashem. Vayasu, they did, following exactly the instruction, the commandment, as Hashem offered. They gave exactly the way Hashem told them to give. We didn't have that in Truma Tetzava. It's here in Vayaka Pakudei. And we'll come back momentarily to why that was. So what does this mean, v'chol chacham leiv? Anyone who's a chacham leiv, anyone who's wise of heart, which in itself seems to be a contradiction. Where is wisdom? Wisdom is in the brain. Whereas, what's in your heart? Emotion. Intelligence, in, intellectual, cognitive capacity is here. And the emotion, the feeling is here. So what is this expression when we put them together? A chacham lev, someone who's wise of heart. So how do you define someone who's wise of heart? Says of Simcha Bunma that's what the Pasuk is telling us. You know what makes you smart? You know what makes you wise of heart? Not your IQ, and not your SAT score. And not how much money you've earned, and not how many initials follow your name, how many degrees that you have. You know what makes you a chacham lev, an intelligence and a wisdom that filters down to the heart? Whether in fact, yavo v'yasu as kol Hashem. If you come and you perform and you do everything Hashem tells you. We have people who think they're so smart, they're trying to outsmart Hashem. They have a legal loophole and an explanation and why it's better and proof against Hashem and proof of this. Fools. Ignorant fools. That's not wisdom. That's not intelligence. That's not genius. A chacham lev. You know, they say the farthest distance between any two things on earth is the distance between our head and our heart. You're not allowed to talk between the tefillin of the arm and the tefillin of the head. One of the people that we send home from war, that we can't rely upon, we can't depend on, who cannot lead us, who cannot protect us, is hasach ben tefillah A person who speaks between putting the tefillin on the arm and the tefillin on the head. Is that such an egregious sin? We don't send home somebody who eats nevela trefa. We don't send somebody who's machal Shabbos home. Who do we send home? Somebody who couldn't help it. The guy next to them in shul, the guy next to them on Zoom, between putting on the tefillin on the arm, the tefillin on the head, he couldn't help but say shalom aleichem. Ah, oh, you're out, go home. Why? I've always thought perhaps the pshat is because the person who creates a barrier between the head and the heart the person who speaks in between, that what we know upstairs doesn't filter down to our heart and to our actions, it's not someone we can rely on at war. There has to be a sense of synergy. We have to take what's upstairs, it has to filter down to our heart, into our hands and feet, and into the world of action. So how do you define a Chacham Lev? You want to know who's really smart? You want to know a person who's able to find that synergy, who's able to create that connection between the head and the heart. Not only what we know intellectually, 
but it translates into how we feel emotionally, which then filters into what we perform and how we act behaviorally. It is those three together which are critically important. And says of Simcha Bunim Pshischa, that's what the Pasik's telling us. You know who's a Chacham Lev? The Chacham Lev is the one who? Yavov Yasu has Hashem. The person who submits to Hashem, the person who performs what Hashem tells us, the omnipotent, infinite God who gave us the details of how to live here on earth in the most meaningful way, the person who appreciates and understands that, they are the Chacham Lev. Torah continues by listing off the different utensils. We spoke about the Aron Badav, the poles that are in the Aron Rav Hirsch. It travels, it informs and inspires us everywhere and at every time. We have the menorah that illuminates the world. And these kalim are represented in our home. Rav Asher Weiss writes, the Shulchan, the Mizbeach, and the Aron represent Torah, Avodah, Gemilos, Chasadim. And they too are in our home. While we've had to uh, dissolve our communal gatherings in a base Knesset and a base Medrash, our homes are that the Asuli Mikdash V'Shechanti B'Socham. And in our homes, we have to recreate the menorah, the light of Torah. We have to create the Shulchan, that place of Chesed. Even if we can't host people literally, we can check in on them, we can shop for them. And the Mizbech, the place of Avoda. Our home is now our shul, that's where we've davened. We have to designate a place. I was going to share later in another context, but I'll mention it quickly now. And the Gemara Brachos talks about having a Makom Kavua for davening, Brachos Davav. Have a Makom Kavua for davening, which most understand the Rishonim in the end means in shul, to have a designated place. But Rabbeinu Yonah there in the Gemara Brachos says, no, shul itself is a Makom Kavua for davening. The whole shul is a designated place for davening. You don't have to have a specific chair, a specific place. What is the Gemara talking about? They have to be Kovea Makom Kavua, that you have to establish a set place. It means in your home. And therefore, it's very important. Many people will daven haphazardly in the kitchen, in the living room, in the backyard while walking between the two and cleaning up as you go. That's not a proper way to daven. In this time when we've had to transform our homes into our places of davening, Rabbeinu Yonah's pshat is very, very much on our minds. That the makam kavua, a designated space and place within the home itself to be that, to be that makam kavua. Perak Lamedei Now told about the Nesim. After everyone else brought what they brought, come along the Nesim. Now the leaders, the leaders of the tribes, brought the Shom stones and the stones for the settings of the ephod and of the and of the breastplate. Says Rashi. When it came to the inauguration of the Mizbeach, they were first. Now when it comes to the giving towards the Mishkan, they're last. Let everyone else donate, and I'll play on bat cleanup. Whatever's missing, we'll give then. So they were lazy, they procrastinated, they delayed. They said, let everyone else give, and then we'll give at the end. We'll give as a matching fund. In the world of fundraising, those who have a responsibility to support the communal institutions, we all encounter people like that. Let others give, and I'll help you out with what you're missing. That was the mistake of the Nesim. In a certain way, that's generous. The person who says, I will help you complete the project with whatever is missing, of course, we're grateful. It's generous. But that's not leadership. That's not taking initiative. That's not paving the path for others to follow. The Nesim shouldn't have been the last. The Nesim should have been the first. And therefore, they're missing the letter Yud in their name. Why are they missing the letter Yud? If you look here, the word Nesim, the leaders, the princes, is spelled without the letter Yud. Where's the letter Yud? 
So Chidush Arim, the Ger Rebbe, Rav Yitzchak Meir of Ger, writes the following. He says, because they procrastinated, because they delayed, because they were lazy, they're missing the letter Yud. Because the letter Yud stands for a Yid. A Yid always acts with Zerizus. A Jew acts with alacrity and enthusiasm and energy. A Jew doesn't sit back and say, let me know when you'll need me. Call me if you need anything. Let me know what you're running short and I'll fill it in. That's not a Yud, that's not a Yid. A Yid, a Jew takes initiative and acts with Zerizus. A Yid is proactive. A Yid is enthusiastic. A Yid doesn't ever want to sit back, doesn't ever wait. A Yid runs to give. Their lack of zrizas, their lack of alacrity, enthusiasm, zeal, passion, pursuing, being the first, being that example. Therefore, the letter Yud says the Chidush Arim is missing from their, from their name. Perak Lamed Ches, Pasuk Ches. Torah continues. The making of, and this is so redundant, if you're looking at an article, Chumash, you see Rashi had nothing to say. Most of the Mepharshim have said what they have to say back in Truma Tetzava. is very sparse in the commentary that we have. But Perak Lamed Ches, we're skipping way ahead. You have Lamed Zion, we have the Betzalel, he makes the Aron, and uh, he makes the Shulchan, he makes the Menorah. We reference these to the Kalim we need in our, in our homes, in our Mikdash Ma'at as well. We make the kior. The kior is also, I think, very relevant to the time in which we're living. Had there been shul last Shabbos, rabbis everywhere, or shul this Shabbos, rabbis everywhere would have been talking about the Torah describing to us that the Kohanim, when they enter, have to wash carefully, and if not, they'll die. In order to protect their lives, they have to wash their hands and feet carefully, we didn't get to give that drusha. What can we do? We say it now. So the kior, they build the uh, kior, vayasa kior. It was made out of copper, a base from copper. It was made from what? Maros hatsovos hashetsovu pesach oel moed. It was made out of the mirrors um, outside the oel, outside the oel moed. These, uh, these mirrors. Rashir tells us that Moshe was not very enthusiastic about this instruction. This instruction was unusual. The kior has no shear. Every other kli, every other utensil in the Mishkan has a shear, has a measure. How wide, how high, how deep, material. The kior is just told by Asasa kior. There are no dimensions given to the kior itself. Moshe was upset not about the lack of dimensions. Moshe was upset about the, where they originated from. Says Rashi, Benos Yisraeliu biyadon maro shiros b'am kashemis kashtos. The Jewish women had these mirrors and they would gaze into them when they would beautify themselves. And nevertheless, they cherished these mirrors. These mirrors wore the conduit, the source through which they would beautify themselves, maintain their beauty. They didn't hesitate to donate them. And Moshe looked at these mirrors and he said to the Rebona Shalom, I don't want to accept these mirrors. These mirrors... These instruments of vanity, these instruments that drive a Yetzahara, they have no place in a holy Mishkan. What are they doing in a sacred space? These instruments, these vehicles of vanity, these vehicles of, of, of licentiousness, of lewdness. Moshe was moist, he was repulsed by them. He hesitated to accept them. They represented an attempt to draw attention to themselves when women beautify themselves. An emphasis on the, on the physical that could lead to promiscuity. 
And as this instrument of the superficial, in his opinion, they had no place in the holiest spot. It was Mois. Hashem says to Moshe, Kabel, accept them. Says Hashem, they're more beloved to me than everything else. When the men were ready to give up, when the men were doing backbreaking labor in Egypt and they said, what is a world with a coronavirus? And COVID-19, what is a world with anti-Semitism? What is a world with threats that we face? Who would bring children into such a world? What responsible person? And the men withdrew. They overcame their type of their desire. And they lived abstinent because they were withdrawing. They wanted to make sure not to bring anyone else into this world to suffer. And what did the women do? They used these mirrors to beautify themselves, to attract the attention of the husbands, to draw the love of their husbands romantically. And they therefore brought greater children. They were able to create a continuity because they never lost their hope and their optimism, a message so critically important for right now, our hope and our optimism in that though we're going through a difficult period and a difficult time, again, whose difficulty is most, it's uncertainty, that there will be a brighter time yet again. The message of the women, who by the way were rewarded for their optimism both in Mitzrayim with the mirrors and their failure to give to the Chet Egel, because they were Roa Es Hanolad, Women have an eye towards the future. They can see what's not yet here. They're not struggling anxiously in the present, but they're able to anticipate with hope the future. What were they given as a reward? The holiday of Rosh Chodesh. The holiday of Rosh Chodesh, Shulchan Aruch records, the practice based on the Gemara, that women don't do Malacha on Rosh Chodesh. It doesn't mean the 39 acts of creative labor. Now we're talking about real labor. The minute the Shulchan Aruch records is that women don't do the laundry and don't cook dinner. Men, every Rosh Chodesh, you should be... Either you make dinner or buy takeout dinner on Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh was given to women. Why? Because what is Rosh Chodesh? When do we celebrate Rosh Chodesh? On Rosh Chodesh, if you look up in the sky, the moon is not full. On Rosh Chodesh, the moon is not in all of its glory. The moon is a sliver. The moon is next to nothing. When is the moon full? In its all full glory? On the 15th of the month. You see, on Rosh Chodesh, we're celebrating the moon not as it will be in its fullness, we're celebrating in anticipation with optimism, hope, and confidence that the moon will, moon will grow full once again. And we say, David in Kiddush Levana. In Kiddush Levana, I look up, and there's a little sliver of a tiny, barely discernible moon. But I say, David I know we'll grow full like the full moon. I know we will reflect light on the world once again. Women were given the holiday of Rosh Chodesh because it's entirely consistent with the hope and optimism that they had, both in Mitzrayim with the mirrors and by being, by refusing to give to the Egel, and yet being the first to contribute, understanding the contrast to the Mishkan itself. So Rashi tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu says, I'm not accepting these mirrors, these instruments of vanity, of superficial, and yet, Kodesh Baruch Hu overruled him. Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Almighty said, no, you have to accept them. These are the most beautiful for me. The Ibn Ezra writes here on this section, the Ibn Ezra writes, they were given with Mesiris Nefesh. You know why they are the most cherished by Hashem? Because whatever is given with the most Mesiris Nefesh. This goes back on our Kliyakar from earlier. Kliyakar said, To give what you don't want anyway, to give what's extra and you won't miss anyway, big deal. But to give what you cherish the most, to give what is from yourself, We say it Shema. 
You have to serve Hashem with all your heart, all your soul, and bechol meodecha. And some meodecha means mamoncha, means with all of your money, but it also means bechol meodecha, whatever maod maod, whatever you want more and more, whatever you cherish and love, whatever you amass and accumulate, to be willing to give that, that's meitchem. So says the Ibn Ezra, the women gave b'mesiris nefesh what they loved and cherished the most, and that's why to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it was the most special. He cherished it. The Ben Chai says something else. The Ben Chai says, imagine an image on a mirror, the image you see in the mirror appears, appears real. We have a backsplash in our dining room that is a mirror. And often when we have guests for the first time, they say, oh wow, I didn't realize that was a mirror. I thought that was another room or the room is expanded or they didn't, you couldn't tell. If you look into a mirror, you don't realize that it's only a reflection, that it's not real, that there's nothing there. And that's what Akash Baruch was telling Moshe, that temptations in Yitzhahara, they seem real, but they're an illusion. They're not worth pursuing. Some glitter and some sparkle, but they're counterfeit. They're not real. They're a mirage, an illusion. There's nothing real. And then when the Kohanim come in and they wash their hands and feet and they prepare for the day and they look into that kiyor, into those mirrors, they realize what is an illusion and what is real. That the exercise of washing against a mirror is the experience of differentiating in our minds between that which is real and worth pursuing and that which is counterfeit and is temporary and not lasting. But Rabbi Salavechik has another pshat I want to share with you about the kiyor. And the Rav says a magnificent alternative and understanding of the conversation between Moshe and Hashem. And the Rav has this in his Chumash, page 330, if you have the Chumash. says the following. Moshe says, the Rav, did not understand how the mirrors the women employed while they ornamented themselves for their husbands, gaining pleasure for their own beauty, could be properly incorporated in the Kior. The Kior is next to the Mizbeach, where a Jew brings the sacrifice of atonement, where a Jew confesses with a broken heart. Given that the Mizbeach and Kiyor seem to represent two mutually exclusive motifs, the physical proximity of the two seems strange. How can the beauty of the mirror harmonize with the sensation of self-criticism with which the road to the altar is bound? The Mizbeach, you bring a carbon, A carbon is to become karov, close to Hashem. You bring it to atone for your mistake. The mirror represents vanity and superficial, and the Mizbeach represents atonement and repair, Says the Rav, Moshe was bothered. How could you have the two adjacent? How could you have the two one next to the other? Moshe objected to the gifts of the mirror because he thought the kiyor represents the hubris of vanity and the Mizbeach represents the humility of forgiveness. How could they be right next to each other? So Hashem turned to him and he said, Moshe, accept it. Because personal growth and repairing relationships and improving ourselves is predicated on self-awareness. Before you can step up to a mizbeach and repair yourself, you have to look into a kiyor. You have to look into the mirror and be honest with yourself. You have to recognize your failure, your shortcoming, your mistakes, the damage that we've done. In our declaration on Yom Kippur, the Rav points out, we say, and you are justified for all that befalls us, for you have acted correctly and we've acted mistakenly. A person cannot grow with the courage and boldness to accusing and condemn himself. The greatness of man is the capacity for self-awareness for self-improvement, for taking responsibility. So says the Rav, the Kior sits right next to the Mizbeach. They're not opposites. They're not in conflict, but rather they're in consonance. Before you step up to that Mizbeach, before you can repair a relationship, be it with God and be it with fellow man, you have to be willing to look in the mirror. You have to be true to yourself. 
You have to be honest with what we need to be able to improve. Carl Jung said, everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. The people around us are mirrors too. And what we see in others that irritate us is really simply a reflection, revealing. The German novelist, Hermann Hesse, who wrote, if you hate a person, you hate something in him that's part of yourself. What isn't part of ourselves doesn't disturb us. And so the people around us are our mirrors. What this philosopher said, we already have in our sacred Torah, the Magir of Dober of Mezritz. He says, the Kohanim are Makadish themselves by looking in the mirror and by realizing that what they don't like in others, they should fix in themselves, that everyone is our personal mirror. And that's why the Kiyor was made from the mirrors of these women. With a few minutes left, let's turn to Parshas Pekudei. Parshas Pekudei, Perek Lamed Ches, Pasach Chavalaf. Parshas Pekudei begins in a very unusual way. Ela Pekudei HaMishkan, Mishkan HaEdus. If you're in the Arts Girl Stone Chumash, page 530. Ela Pekudei HaMishkan, Mishkan HaEdus. We've spoken about in the past, we won't review now. Parshas Pekudei is this big spreadsheet, this big accounting. Moshe Rabbeinu was, can you imagine the brazenness, the gall? He was audited by Klal Yisrael. They accused him that they were missing funds. And Moshe Rabbeinu had to take an accounting. At first he was nervous, he couldn't account for a certain amount. And then he remembered they were spent on the vavim, the hooks that bind the Mishkan together. We should never forget. And that's such an important Vartora as we go through this right now too. This experience, I have to tell you, I'm so moved, I'm so nispoil. There were, I think, 114 at the max people on the video part. I don't know how many people are calling in who were part of learning together. That even when a virus separates us physically, nothing can separate us spiritually, emotionally, and our shared commitment to learning Torah and growing together. It's those vavim, the vav, hachibur, the vav that connects us, the vav that united the Mishkan and held it together, the vav of Kayin that he had to have tattooed on himself because he lacked that brotherhood, that camaraderie, those vavim, so Moshe, uh, that which seems so negligible and inconsequential that Moshe had dismissed and not accounted for, Moshe remembered so he was able to balance the books and show that chas v'shalom, nothing had taken. I feel better. If a Moshe Rabbeinu could be accused, nobody's got a 100% approval rating. Mordechai didn't. We just read at the end of the Megillah. He was ratzoi l'rovechav. Can you imagine Mordechai saves the people of Shushan and they take a, a poll and he doesn't have a 100% approval rating. Who did not vote for Mordechai in Shushan? And who led this charge against Moshe? Who led them out of Mitzrayim and got them the Mon and got them the Be'er and the Slav? And, the, and who led this charge? But it makes all leaders feel better that nobody has that 100% approval rating. So the Pasha begins somewhat peculiarly. Ela Pekudah Mishkan, Mishkan Haedus. Why does the word Mishkan appear twice? So the Ibn Ezra says, Ela Pekudah Mishkan, Mishkan Haedus. Says the Ibn Ezra, Hatam Pekudah Akelam, Kimilas Mishkan Kolelas Hakol, Uperish Lamanikra Mishkan, Bavura Aron Shasham Luchos Haedus. Says, so the word Mishkan has a dual meaning. Mishkan can mean the general whole Mishkan, and Mishkan can mean the components therein. So, Mishkan, Mishkan Haedus. 
This is the accounting of the general Mishkan, and then also the specific Mishkan that is therein. The Ramban has an alternate interpretation. And the Ramban here writes, Ela Pekudah Mishkan, Mishkan, twice. He says, the Urios, Sheish Mashzar, this covering, this curtain, that is being called the Mishkan. And the Ramban argues and tries to prove that whenever we use the term Mishkan throughout these parshios, Mishkan means this canopy, this curtain, which is on top of it. And that's why there are the two Mishkan, the general Mishkan and the specific Mishkan. That's why it's twice. Rashi has a third opinion. Mishkan, Mishkan, says Rashi, Shnei Pa'amem, Remez Lamikdash Mishkan, She Nis Mashkein Bishnei Churbanen Alavanosein Shal Yisrael. This is foretelling, it's portending a terrible thing. That ultimately we wouldn't have this one Mishkan, we'd have two Bate Mikdash, and the two Bate Mikdash would be destroyed. Seila Pekude, there's an accounting. We are accountable for Mishkan Mishkan, the two Bate Mikdash that are destroyed. Rabbeinu Bachya has a fourth interpretation. Rabbeinu Bachya, Rabbeinu Bachya, however you pronounce it, if we had the time, that would read it to you inside. Rabbeinu Bachya says, there are two Mishkans. There's the Mishkan, the tabernacle we build as this house for Hashem, the Shechina, His Shachin, for Him to be our neighbor, camaraderie, love, connection. And there is the Mishkan that, uh, that we create in this world. HaKadosh Baruch created Earth, the Mishkan is a recreation, a testament to Sheshis and Mebrashis. And we too, when we create in this world, we are imitating him. And therefore, Rabbeinu Bachya tracks, there are many comparisons between the creation of the world and the creation of the Mishkan. And through our effort to create the Mishkan, we are in fact becoming a shutaf, a partner in emulating, in emulating the Rebona Shalom. Four interpretations of what, why the word Mishkan is repeated. Perak Lamarchas Pasuk Zion. If you didn't listen to anything till now, listen to this. I love this pshat, and again, so, so relevant for this time in which we are unfortunately going through right now. Perek Lam Ches Pasuk Chav Zayin. Torah tells us, Perek Lam Ches Chav Zayin. Page 530 in the article, Stone Chumash. The hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the partition, a hundred sockets for a hundred talents, a talent per socket. What is the word repeated over and over in that Pasuk? The Adanim. Adanim are the sockets. You put the poles in the sockets, and that's what held the whole thing together. How many sockets were there? There were a hundred sockets. And those sockets were the foundation, they were the base of the Mishkan, and if one were missing, it would collapse. It couldn't be held up. It would fall apart. So there was a hundred silver talents, to pay for the hundred sockets, and you needed to have those hundred critical sockets, these adanim, in order to be able to hold up the mishkan. Listen to this chidushe harim. The chidushe harim says, "Get Rebbe getting a lot of play today." Says the chidushe harim of Yitzchak Meir Migur. He says, "You know what these hundred sockets are an allusion to? The obligation of a hundred brachos every day." The Torah tells us. What does God want from you? Moshe says, He wants us to love, to fear Him. Kirsh wants us to be present, to be mindful, to have a consciousness of His presence in our lives. Chazal come along and say, don't read it. What does He want? Read it. Hashem wants from us a hundred brachos a day. Says the Chidush Arim, 
These hundred sockets correspond with the hundred brachos we say a day. The foundation of the Mishkan were the sockets and the foundation of the sanctity and holiness in our lives is saying a hundred brachos a day. He says it's not a coincidence that a socket's called an Adan, an Oden. It comes from the word Adon, a master. Kodesh Baruch the name of Adnas, Yudke Vavke, the name of Hashem, He is our Adon HaKol, He is the master of all. What happens in our relationship with Hashem, it happens unfortunately, tragically, sadly, in our relationships and lives, in our lives when we're not quarantined. When we are apart from one another, we forget to check in and we can lose an awareness of the other. We don't see him or feel him or touch him or smell him. And it's very easy to be caught up in our lives and forget he's there. So Hashem says, a hundred check-ins a day. Marriage experts will tell you, check in throughout the day, a text message, a phone call. Check in during the day. It builds bridges, it creates bonds, and it's able to uh, cultivate a sense of love. Kodesh Baruch Hu says, Ma Hashem Shomeimach. He asks us a hundred check-ins a day because it's so easy to slip into a place where we forget He's there. So you're about to have a cup of coffee. Who doesn't cherish a cup of coffee? Slowly, a bracha, that everything comes from you. A hundred brachos. You come out of the bathroom, everything functioned properly, everything's working. How about every breath? Sitter snippets, we're going to continue. The fifth hallelujah, the last Tehillim. And we'll get up to that last passage, Kol HaNeshama Tehalaka, which Chazal say in the Medrash, Kol HaNeshima Tehalaka. We're living in a time that there is a virus which poses a respiratory threat. People are struggling to breathe. There's a shortage of ventilators to help people breathe. Kol HaNeshima Tehalaka. How do you not give a Kodesh Baruch Hu a bracha for every breath that you take? If you're not on a ventilator, if you don't have coronavirus, if you're not struggling to breathe, to produce a breath, if you don't have pneumonia, then kol haneshama, tahalaka, you got to praise Hashem and thank Hashem. So a hundred brachos a day, these are the adonim, these are the sockets, this is the foundation, this is the base of our life. And Odin is Adon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you are the master. We don't know why what's happening is happening, but we're not going to neglect or forget you're there. A hundred times a day, we're going to check in through these sockets. We're going to strengthen the foundation of our lives. Me'a brachos b'chol yom. We're studying in the Living with Emuna series that uh, we're up to part 130-something. We did a whole series on the Me'a brachos b'chol yom, and at the end, we had a bracha party where we served, bracha, we served breakfast at that Emuna shir with signs for the bracha for each of the foods and celebrating each of the brachas that we recite. You can combine the hundred brachas between the Shemona Esrei three times a day and the Asher Yatzar out of the bathroom and the Birchas Anenen before and after we eat and Hamapil at night and combine all these brachas. A hundred times a day we check in, but we can't do it mindlessly. When you say that bracha, you have to do it slowly and carefully and consciously and mindfully. And for a moment pause and say, you know what? Hashem, I'm feeling the stress and the angst. I'm feeling the worry and uncertainty. Hashem, I'm feeling what will be. No. A hundred times a day, I calm my nerves. A hundred times a day, I take that deep breath and restore my soul. A hundred times a day, I strengthen that foundation that says, I don't have to worry because you have my back. I'm practicing dveikas, the devek, the glue. I'm sticking with you, Hashem, because I know there's a master plan. Let me tell you one more thing. We're over an hour, but I promise you we'd come back to the kasher tziva Hashem. So the Rav writes on Kashatziva Hashem, Perak Lamates Pasuk Aleph. Perak Lamates Pasuk Aleph. Perak Lamates, sorry, Pasuk, not Aleph. Kashatziva Hashem, we have over and over again, and the Rav writes, you see, the whole Chet Egel was, we ignored what Hashem wanted for us, and we thought we could figure it out on our own. 
Hashem said, wait here for Moshe. When he didn't return on our timeline, we decided we were going to create a sense of religion in our own way. The Rav got this from his great-grandfather, the Beis HaLevi, who understood the whole Chet Egel was man trying to create religious avenue that was not dictated from above. Kodesh Baruch Hu tells us what is genuine and authentic. We're not allowed to have this religious creativity to come up with our own mitzvos or to invent new mitzvos. We have to be very, very careful. We have to be careful during this time. All the Zoom minyanim, I understand the idea that you can connect with others when you daven at the same time as them, but that's not halachically a minyan. And we have to be very careful. We can't stream our davening on Shabbos, even though we'd love to and we wish we could. Halacha may limit us at times, but when there's a conflict between our religious creativity and the halacha that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us, we have to concede and forfeit to Him. And therefore, that was our mistake. We have Truma Tetzava, but in between came the Chet Ega, where we tried to invent and manufacture and figure it out on our own. So it's followed up with a Vayaka Pekudeh, which is filled with Kashotziva Hashem. We have to do it the way Hashem told us, not in any other way. I wanted to tell you one other idea where Moshe Rabbeinu stopped taking donations for the Meshkan. Whoever heard of such a fundraiser where you turn it off the spigot and say no more donations. This is something that we recreate. The notion of it was enough is based on Hashem creating the world and saying it's enough. We shortly are going to sing Dayenu, our capacity for it's enough. But please God will share that in another context. So I want to thank everybody. For joining me, for dialing in this experiment, didn't know how it'd go, but appreciate it. And uh, we should all be zocha to not have to learn at a distance learning, but to be able to learn together, to draw energy from one another. Everyone should be healthy and safe and secure. Amir Tashem, have a fantastic day.